0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos, or have sent to me by email at AskChrisShelton at gmail.com. Okay guys, uh, boy, I, I hope you get a chance to check out my podcast this week. I um I think I probably talked a little bit too much in, in explanatory mode a bit, uh, you know, in the first half of the podcast, but it's mostly about the subject of suicide And suicide prevention, something I actually went to a workshop on this week about. I wanted to talk about it. I thought it would be relevant and important and useful, especially in the area of, you know, what we talk about all the time. I mean, it has something to do with some of that, right? Um, Anyway, so that is there for you guys to check out. Also, this week, I have another thing that you guys could possibly use utilize, find helpful to you, and also help support the channel here. I signed up as a Amazon associate or influencer or something, so there's a link in the description section below to uh, my storefront on Amazon. (laughs) I'm not like you know, trying to sell things on Amazon, but I do uh, have, people have asked me many, many, many times uh, about books I would recommend or materials I would recommend to read. So I put together little lists of Scientology books, uh, you know, yeah, of course mine's on there, uh, but others are as well, some critical thinking books, some stuff about that I've been reading and studying lately that you see back here in the, in the uh, background of my studio, the stuff I've been talking about harping on maybe I don't know but um, anyway that some of those things are there and if you buy them through my storefront then I get a percentage and it helps support what I'm trying to do here so anyway you guys can check that out um, so now we got some really great questions this week and I intend on giving some really complete answers um, so let's get to it Robert Wancha, love your channel I have hundreds of hours into Scientology research One of the aspects I find intriguing is the Sea Org Navy uniform ribbons. I found a rank chart, so I'm good on ranks, but can you please explain the ribbons? What do they represent? For instance, is there a ribbon for achieving clear? Another for OT1, OT2, holding a commanding officer position, etc. Okay, great question. Um, I'm actually going to throw up a screenshot here of a picture of me in the Sea Org in my uniform. And I believe the ribbons you are referring to are those colorful bars. They are called campaign bars or campaign ribbons. And uh, you can see I have quite a few of them. Um, I've seen people who had, I mean, you know, they go all the way down. <laughs> uh, lots and lots of them. So let's talk about what they represent. Mainly in the C organization, they represent courses that you have completed. There are certain courses or training actions that people do that they get a ribbon for. Um, there are um, different, but there aren't. I don't recall, maybe there are, but I don't recall seeing ribbons for processing or case levels. Like you asked if there's one for clear or OT8 or something. And I don't think there are, not that I recall uh, from when I did my study of this stuff. You learn about all this when you get into the Sea Organ or doing the Estates Project Force or the EPF, which is the equivalent of their boot camp. Um, so I'm am drawing from on memory from memory here uh, on you know what I read about this stuff many 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 years ago. Um, there are there is one that spe- that is specifically if you are mission trained, and in the Sea Org when you go out on missions, those are like projects. You get you know you get specific set of orders to go do. You get fired out with somebody else. You go to a distant location, or maybe you stay on base. That happens sometimes too you get an on base mission but anyway there's a blue i believe it's a blue ribbon that it signifies that you're mission trained and then when you go out on these missions and you come back you get graded on the mission whether it was well done very badly done you know etc and if it's a good job then you get a little star on that ribbon and a black star indicates one successful mission or project or whatever uh a silver star represents three, so you could easily get, you know, up to nine on there, uh, pretty easily with three silver stars. Maybe gold stars represent five. I don't really remember, but that was sort of the numbering system for it. So you could, you know, show off that you are a very good, successful missionaire. <laughs> there were other ribbons that uh, signified um, uh, specific projects or accomplishments that were done. For example. When um, Scient when the Sea Org decided that all Scientologists, I think this was around the year 1999 or 2000, when they decided that they were going to do this online program where all Scientologists were going to get a website and they were going to promote Scientology and this was how they were going to outdo all the critics and bad news and bad media on the internet is they were going to flood the internet with Scientologists and the- and all having their own websites. So I got a ribbon for having worked on that project. There were only about, I don't know, 10 people or something who got that ribbon. And I was one of them. So that signified, you know, that particular campaign, I guess you could say. Um, So those are the kind of things that are signified by that. Um, Yeah, different courses, different training, uh, different events that you've been involved in. That was pretty much it. And as far as the lanyards go, because there's a shoulder uh, chain that gets clipped here, that's for petty officers and if you see a gold uh, braid uh, lanyard then that is an officer lanyard. When you go out on a mission or project you get a green lanyard, it's a green braid lanyard if you are say from the continental management level then you're going to get a green one if you're fired out on it and you wear that lanyard for the duration of the project that you're on so it signifies oh he's on a project right. Uh, if you get a blue one, that indicates, I believe, that you are on an international level mission. And so if you see somebody, you know, uh, wearing that, then that means, ooh, they're on that, you know, special int mission or something. I think that's how that works. And then the inner, the senior, senior, senior international executives, when they are in full dress uniform, they have um, a lot of gold and braid and all that, but they have a very big, thick gold lanyard and it's a sort of a a, a laced deal and that indicates senior executive so you'll see those kind of things and that's basically how the c-word uniform uh breaks down alex can how the heck do you come out of a cult and apply yourself to making a living well how do you basically you like like anybody else you take the skill set that you have and you invest as best you can and trying to find some kind of job or employment or means of exchange so that you can get your three basics taken care of right away. I, this is something whenever I talk to somebody who's just come out of a cult situation and is trying to get their bearings and their feet on the ground and stuff, there are always three super, super important points that must be taken care of before anything else. And that is roof over your head, food in your belly, means of transportation, right? You have to have those three things taken care of before anything else will be really meaningful or helpful to you. So those are always the first things. And as far as trying to find work, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of unskilled labor out there that people can do. But also, let's let's take a moment and really take a look at this. People coming out of, let's talk about the Scientology and the Sea Organization specifically. Um You know, pretty much every Scientologist, other than a a, you know the the group of Sea Organization kids who grew up in the Sea Org, and you know, and there's there's however many of them there are, um, you know, I think a couple hundred of them probably. Uh, Other than those people, most people in Scientology come into it having had at least a high school education already. Uh, Most public Scientologists see to it that their kids get educated, uh, and the affluent ones, who are a lot of them also are very interested in their kids going to college. Uh, unless they fully buy into the whole, you know, Hubbard anti-college, anti-establishment line and rhetoric and then they, you know, encourage their kids to join the Sea Org and they're, they're very happy about that instead. But almost all of them insist on or really push hard to try to get their kids at least through high school uh, or through the private school they're paying for, or even if they're sending them to a Scientology school, they still want them to get, you know, some kind of basic education. So pretty. my point being that pretty much everybody coming into Scientology has some, you know, high school, maybe some college education. Um, so when you come out, of course, you are just like a new person coming out into the workforce and, and going. It's just that you've been through some experiences other people haven't been. Um, so once you get those three basics taken care of, then you can start addressing, okay, now let's take a look at what you know just happened to me and depending on how long you've been involved how deeply you got involved how committed those things will then determine how much and what your recovery process is going to look like these are all very broad i'm speaking in very broad strokes here because um you really as context is king with this you really have to take each individual person and then do some kind of a skills assessment and figure out what they can and can't do I had a high school education. I went right into Scientology staff. As a Scientology staff member, I learned how to uh, give orders, receive orders, run people. I was an educator in a way. I mean, as a course room supervisor, I wanted to impart information and education to people. And I got, uh, you know, I, I got okay at it, given... Hubbard's insane <laughs> methods of how to go about teaching. I mean, it's still the matter of the supervisor and the students working together and trying to help the person to understand concepts and ideas that they're reading about. So I, you know, I feel pretty confident in my ability to sit down and help somebody learn something, for example. I don't have a four-year degree, so I, you know, I'm not going to go off and, and be a, I get hired as a teacher right away, but I could very easily see getting into teaching English as a second language or I could get into teaching, um, a, you know, a broad range of things, right, just based on that skill set. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know that other people who had a similar experience to me would be able to see, say the same thing or feel confident about that. I'm just going to talk about me now, right? Um, other skills that I acquired while I was in Scientology was I taught myself how to do computer design and uh, marketing, graphics type work. I did uh, newsletters, promo pieces, things like that. I taught myself how to do that kind of stuff. I taught myself Photoshop, Illustrator. Um, I even you know, taught myself uh, how to do iMovie and stuff at the end, at the end of my CEO career, uh, as I was making recruitment videos and, and stuff like that. Like This was all just stuff I was learning how to do internally. And all of those skills, immediately translated into what you now see me doing. Um, Also, let's see, executive functions, uh, spreadsheet work, I mean I learned Microsoft Office, I learned how to do computer programming while I was in the Sea Org. Uh, I taught myself that because I was really interested in trying to make our office more efficient and uh, so I just taught myself Visual Basic, uh, and then HTML, and then you know uh, JavaScript and VBScript, and I was writing web pages and stuff. And it was just incrementally learning, you know, one thing after another after another, and applying myself to it on the job. You know, I was actually doing my work and doing this at the same time, giving myself maybe an hour or two a day or something to working on that. You have, uh, you know, to, to go away from me for a while, in the Sea Org, you have a wide range of jobs. You have engineers, you have electrical engineers, you have plumbers, you have, like, trades people, real professional level tradespeople, because that's what they learn to do while they're there, you know, and in, in, in if they're working in the estates area, for example, where they're doing grounds work, plumbing work, carpentry, you know, renovations work, that kind of stuff. That's also something I learned how to do while I was on the RPF, is I learned how to do woodworking and carpentry and cabinetry. Uh, I built desks. I built shelves. I built tables. I built chairs. I mean, just we just built this stuff. That's what we did for the uh, ideal orgs. Um, so there was a lot of uh, tool work and, and, and that kind of thing that I also learned. Uh, a lot of people did. And those skills also are transferable when you leave. To construction work or simple uh, mechanical work, stuff like that. So, um, so I, you know, so I've seen people. Uh, oh, for you know, people in the galley—they learn how to cook. I mean, they, you know, I, I'll complain up one side and down the other about the quality of the food that we ate when we were in the Sea Org. But that doesn't change the fact that there were people who were down there working their asses off to make all that food for hundreds of people at a time. I mean, that's a whole another skill set. And sometimes the food, you know, when they had money and they could spend it on a decent menu, then we would have sometimes, a, you know, some decent food. It was never anything that you would go pay for or that you'd, you know, go out to eat and feel like, oh, my God, this was such a great meal. But it was adequate, you know, I and mean, it, was, it was competent. So, um, so, you know, you get those kind of skill sets. So, again, context and the individual really matter a lot as to how they're going to and what they're going to do when they leave the cult situation as far as making a living goes. So, uh, I don't know. I think that gives some idea. Let me know if there's anything I kind of left hanging or left out on that. Um, That's kind of how we do it, you know. And also, of course, now, one thing I should add, of course, is that now that we have the Aftermath Foundation in full operation... They are helping people find work or find get their feet on the ground long enough to establish themselves and get the roof over their head, the transportation and the food in their belly taken care of, so that they can have the attention and um, time necessary to go out and get the job, the you know kind of work that they're that they're looking for. So uh, that's what I can say about that, Steve Wood. It is common knowledge now that many of the Sea Org members have to endure what can only be described as slave labor under incredibly harsh conditions. They have to run everywhere, call everyone sir, and have absolutely no communication with the rest of the people at the base. In fact, they are left in total isolation and treated, it would seem, like prisoners under a Russian or North Korea regime. Add in the fact of the appalling living conditions, terrible food, and the few minutes they have to eat it, and one is left wondering at what point are they saving the planet surely they can't all believe that this is done for some higher purpose and that they deserve this treatment that they brought it upon themselves does nobody say wtf this is crazy or do they all just accept their fate i've heard you say many times that the majority of scientologists don't even get into the ot levels and if that is true what are they doing and why also i have heard it said that at the gold base the stats are clearly marked up on the wall and unless they are lying, this must show a constant decrease in membership, and if that is the case, can the members not see what is happening and work it out for themselves? Okay, thanks for the question, Steve, and I got a, a bit to say on this one, so let's just go ahead and cut to the chase. I made a couple little notes here because I've got a lot to go over. Uh, this question, or variations of it, are asked all the time, and i um, and, Let's just let's just kind of, you know, last week I in the Q A show, I talked a lot about some of the minutiae behind the financial planning and the financial systems of Scientology. And I made a point of saying that we critics really simplify a lot of stuff in order to get across to you guys that there are abusive conditions, there are egregious. Human rights violations and civil rights violations occurring in the Sea Org on a fairly daily basis. Just being in the Sea Org already reduces your human rights potentials because you don't have freedom of movement, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, etc. But let's be clear. Not everybody in the Sea Org is suffering from what you described in your question. In fact, the, the conditions described in your question really only apply to a small set of the Sea Org, which is those people who are in, in the RPF, the Rehabilitation Project Force, or in the hole uh, under David Miscavige's terror reign, right, reign of terror, um, or specific Sea Org members who get sent, like say, to the Free Winds and have to end up in the in the, the down in the engine room. Having to you know work their asses off and doing these like months, of, weeks, or months of uh, amends work, and basically being stuck there and and being a bit of a captive, you know, being in captive conditions. Day to day, Sea Org members work very very long hours, do have crap to eat, don't get really paid very much. But they're not. They don't have to run everywhere. They don't have to call everybody sir. They don't have to, you know, drop and give me twenty if their if if their senior tells them to. That's RPF, okay. And the RPF is a, is a special program that is that is a group of people who have really screwed up in some fashion according to the rules of the Sea Org, and they get sent off and sequestered in their own little area, and they have they're the ones who have to run everywhere, call everybody sir. Uh, And and all that kind of stuff, right? I've talked about the RPF. I'm going to, you know, eventually I'll get my book done on that. Um, So, because it really is its own thing. And it's it's just impossible to really get across the full extent of the abuse that occurs on the RPF in, you know, in a comment answer format like this. I'd be talking for hours. I really would. Uh, There's so much to it. So... The public, so let's talk about the levels of Scientology again. You have the public Scientologists, the lowest level Scientologists, Joe, Bill, Mary Sue, day to day, they have jobs, they have lives, they have houses, they have cars, they have kids. They just come, they pay for their services, they do their services, they go home. They're just public Scientologists. That's sort of the customer base, I guess you could say. Then you have the staff members at the mid-level. They're the ones who are working Not in the C-Org, but they sign a contract for two and a half or five years and they're working at the local churches, at the city level churches, which we call the class five organizations. And then the highest level is the C-Organization and that's where things really get, you know, the shit gets real and things are pretty tough. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to differentiate these levels. I'm not trying to uh, lessen the severity of what goes on in this entire operation, okay? Okay. Auditing is abusive. The training, as I talked about, is abusive. I mean, everybody's getting some level of abuse. But public Scientologists, for example, would never, ever put up with, you know, being told to run around everywhere and call every single person they see, sir, or get locked up in a room or something. I mean, they're just not going to put up with that crap, right? Something like that happens to one of them. They're, they hit the road pretty fast. I mean, their level of dedication is also significantly less than the staff or the Sea Org, which is why, right? Um, you know, the Sea the, the Org guys, the abuses that happen there, I mean, they're happening right now as you're listening to this. So don't take my attempt to differentiate the, the, the types of abuse as an effort to lessen what's going on in the whole picture. Everything I've ever said about all of this is still just as true. All right, but why would anyone put up with any level of this abuse? Okay, let's get to the heart of the matter now. It has to do with belief. It has to do with thinking or believing that what you're involved in is the single most important and most significant thing going on in the entire world. That's this. That's the mindset Scientologists get into. And they don't just get into a view that, uh, isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? Oh my God, it's so, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's it's more like it's so special. It's so amazing what they have managed to somehow connect up with in their life with Scientology that they actually feel honored to be part of it. You know, like, oh, I'm so lucky that I manage to find this and get involved in this and 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 do this and and be part of the most important, most amazing, and most powerful religious movement that has ever existed on planet Earth. That's how they that's how they think. That's how they talk to each other about this. And that's how David Miscavige promotes and describes Scientology to Scientologists. Okay? So this belief thing, this is this instills not just a belief that kind of sits there and goes, oh, it's nice that I have that belief, you know, oh, I'm so happy that, you know, five angels can dance on the head of a pin. It's not an insignificant belief. It is something that encompasses and envelops their entire life, their whole worldview. Everything about a person's life is touched by Scientology in some, some sense. Their work situation, how they see other people, how they see non-Scientologists, how they interact with them. Everything is affected by this worldview. And it gives them, you know, a very strong sense of purpose because it's not just an idle belief But it's something that involves their active participation. Even at the public level, they have to, you know, they're constantly being pushed to go on course more, to go in session more, to do more and more and more and more and more Scientology. That's constantly what they're being pushed for. And while they might resist and push back against it after a while because they get kind of sick of all the phone calls and the incessant demands for their money, the dedication and purpose never lose their, you know, never get tarnished. You see, there are always these bright, shiny beacons of hope that they hold on to. And they cherish those beliefs. They hold on to that purpose. It's what it's what makes Scientology significant for them and, and so, so important. And you look at this and you look at what we talk about. I, you know, I describe the RPF, for example. I mean, all the things you asked in your question are the RPF. Well, I did the RPF. You're looking at somebody right here who did the whole goddamn program. I didn't. I didn't go in and go. Oh my God! This is too crazy. This is insane. I can't deal with this. Get me out of here. Like about you know sixty to seventy percent of the rest of the RPF, uh, because most of them leave. Right. Well, I hunkered down, and I got through it, and I and I uh, you know uh, endured all of that abuse. Why? Well, because I left my wife, at the time. Right. I was married, and I very much wanted to make up for why I was there and I wanted to get back with her. And uh and so I I had that goal. And I also believed as as badly as I knew the Scientology organization was not really operating the way it was supposed to, I still believed with all of my heart, I really believed that Scientology worked and that it was the only thing that was gonna really be able to give any lasting permanent gain or help to anybody. So the idea of leaving was on my mind all the time but <laughs> the way I had it painted in my head was if I leave I'm dooming myself to you know a life of normalcy in the wog world and It's going to be hell. It's going to be awful. I won't have any friends. I won't have any connections. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be, it'll just be awful, right? So I was able to endure all of that on the strength of that purpose and drive. And it's kind of interesting because if you think about this, it's not unique to Scientology at all. I mean, people go to war. People go live through the very, very harsh conditions. Um, the difference with Scientology, of course, is that there's you know a little problem with informed consent in Scientology. You don't really know what you're getting into when you when you get into it. When you go sign up for the military, it's a completely voluntary thing. It's not a, you know I'm not talking about conscription military. These guys go, they sign up, they know pretty much what they're going to get into, or at least they have the potential to actually find out. I mean, if they're idiots and just listen to their recruiter and believe that re- the, everything the recruiter says, then they're in for some rude awakenings. But again, people get into these harsh, tough, I mean, look at the Navy SEALs, look at the Special Forces, look at the Green Berets. People idolize those those guys because of the incredibly uh, tough situations and ordeals that they have to endure in order to become navy seals or green berets or special forces so um so it's not unheard of that people are willing to knuckle down and endure some really really nasty stuff if they feel that the takeaway is going to be worth it and now let me ask you point blank if you thought that you were involved in something, whatever it is, your job, uh, you know, some activity you're involved in, if you thought that that was really, truly going to make a significant difference in the world and was going to actually improve things for everybody across the boards, you'd probably be pretty dedicated to it, wouldn't you? You'd give up money, you'd give up time, you'd sacrifice even connections for that thing. That's the power of belief and dedication and purpose, you see. And, of course, the emotional investment, which is what the, all of that you know is, is emotional investment. And if you're thinking that maybe you don't have anything like that, well, let me ask you this question. What would I have a really hard time, a, a maybe an impossible time, trying to talk you out of? What belief do you hold or idea do you have that I would just never be able to talk you out of it never be able to convince you that it's wrong or weird or stupid or is not something you should do or be doing right that belief that whatever you thought of there that's the kind of powerful thing i'm talking about right whatever that was for you it could be religious belief or whatever and then as far as the last part of your question where you mentioned the stats on the walls and how they can see that they're going down well, yes, those are pretty obvious. I don't know that the people at the gold base have full access to all of those statistics, actually. I don't think that that's actually true. Um, I think that, you know, one of the, the key points of, of control within the world of Scientology is siloing the information. And Miscavige is a master at that. And he uh, doesn't let, you know, these guys know what these guys are doing. And these guys over here don't know anything about this over here. And so is everybody going to see that the membership statistics are on their way down, 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 year after year after year? Probably not. The membership list for the International Association of Scientologists was one of the most closely guarded pieces of information I ever ran across when I was in the Sea Org. I got it. I received a copy of it because I was doing a very specific project that needed to process do a little data collation on all those names. So they gave me the list, and I saw it, and I was like, wow, this is a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but did that cause me to then think, oh, my God, we're living a lie? No, it didn't It didn't cause anything like that. If anything, what it did is it strengthened and emboldened my purpose because it made me think we've got so much work to do to reach all these people, we need to reach, and look at—we're not reaching enough of them. We've got millions out there. We've got to do something to—you know—we got to get more effective. I got to work even harder to make this happen. That was the thought process that went through my head when I saw that information. So I know I'm not alone in that kind of thinking in the in the cult world, right in the Scientology world. So hope. And the urgency to, you know, to to pay attention and, and 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 work harder and be more industrious and more effective is, you know, the, the, the sort of response you'll get from Sea Org members um, until they just get beaten down so many times that they finally reach their breaking point. Everybody's got one. And eventually you do reach it. Um you know, it's not dissimilar to, um, the, again, maybe the Navy SEALs or the Special Forces guys, right? When they get involved and they go to their first few days or week of, you know, I think, what is, uh, what, I don't, I can't remember what it's called. I don't think it's hell week. But the first thing they're trying to do with all the people who have qualified to get to that point in the first place, because it's hard to get qualified to even show up for the training, but if you make it that far, the first thing they're trying to do is get rid of you. They want to make it so tough, so hard, so unbelievably difficult to deal with the conditions that they're making you go through that you're going to quit. They're trying to get you to quit. They tell you repeatedly, it's okay to quit. We're okay with you leaving. It's If you're uncomfortable, you don't like this, you don't like what's going on, just leave. Just raise your hand and you're out of here. We'll go have well, no, Let's go have a drink, right? I mean, they're encouraging it. And it's only the toughest of the tough that actually get through that. Lots and lots of guys wash out. So everybody has their breaking point, right? And uh, in the world of of the Sea Org, you know, there are some pretty tough people there. And there are some very, very dedicated people. And I think we kind of lose sight of that sometimes. We deride their uh purpose we we you know denigrate their actions and as well we should when they are human rights violations or they are contributing to that kind of thing not saying that we shouldn't be down on these guys but there is another side to this too right and that's something to kind of look at you know these are some strong people so it's just that they are uh thinking a little funny (laughs) okay Anyway, think I think I've gone on enough about this, but I hope that uh, those are some of my thoughts on this, on this subject. Banagore Paladin. What the hell are Scientologists thinking when they get in people's faces who were never Scientologists and start using words like SP and other jargon? Don't they realize that this literally means nothing to normal people? Almost nobody has ever heard of any of these idiotic terms, and they throw them around as if we're all supposed to know exactly what they mean. As one who has never been a Scientologist, they just come across to me as completely nuts. Sort of like the crazy guy on the street selling pencils from a cup, shouting about how aliens took his cat and made it into a dog and to watch for the third coming of the great Elekazarek of doom. I agree, it does sound pretty nuts, right? I mean, it is. It's just crazy. But I think the reason for it is because Scientologists really don't know what other words to use. You know, loaded language is a very, very powerful tool for indoctrination and for maintaining thought processes that you want people to have, because the more you use a word, the more the neural pathways become used to that way of thinking, and the more reinforced that kind of thinking becomes. So, you know, you don't think in terms of of psychotics or antisocials or something like that. You think in terms of suppressive people. And Hubbard's definition and delineation of what a suppressive person is, is kind of unique. But it aligns closely with these other things, but it's not exactly that, it's its own thing. And so you start uh, thinking that way, and the rest of the world just starts looking a little different. You know, the world outside of Scientology or before Scientology starts taking on this like, they didn't really know what they were talking about, they don't really know what we know, they don't really understand people the way we do, right? So you start preferring this language because other people around you are using it all the time. And it just becomes second nature. And so when you go out on the street and you're going to confront some anti-Scientology guy, you're, you're just you're just spouting off. And, and a person who's angry, by the way, and those Scientologists who go out and confront protesters are angry people. When you get that angry, you know, part, the parts of your brain that are lighting up are not the rational, reasonable... <laughs> parts they're the lizard brain parts right so it's like rah, rah, you know and you just want to like throw those words out there as like insults even or this is just rah, how you how you're gonna you know impinge on the guy because that's another thing is impinging on somebody in the world of Scientology there is the idea that an intention is different from the words that you use this is a this is a big deal in Scientology this is what that whole yelling at the ashtray thing is all about If you've heard about those drills where they'll take an ashtray and they'll start yelling at it and giving it commands, you know, they'll sit there and say, stand up, and they lift the ashtray up. Thank you. Sit down in that chair. And they put the ashtray back down on the chair. Thank you. Stand up. And they'll repeat this for hours, you know, lifting it up, putting it down, lifting it up, putting it down, shouting at this ashtray. The purpose of that exercise is to differentiate intention from words. What you intend is the important part. And I'm making this motion because it's like from your thetan, from you, who basically resides in the head as a spiritual entity. You're intending something to happen. And the words are only secondary to that intention. So if you get that idea, then you can understand why Scientologists who come out on the street and start provoking or attacking or yelling or screaming at, at protesters they're trying to theta slap them, you know. They're trying to. That's what they're trying to do. They're really trying to hit you with their intention, and the words are secondary to them. So they don't care what you think. It's it, it, what they're doing is for them. You see, they're not there to be understandable to you. In fact, in fact, the third aspect of this is if they can load you down. With words that you don't understand, you'll leave. Because one of the things that Hubbard says is that misunderstood words or words that you don't understand will cause you to get all confused and blow, take off, leave. So if they can just throw a bunch of words at you that you don't really understand or or can't make sense of, they're fine with that because they think you're going to leave all the faster. And all they're trying to do is get you to leave they're not out there trying to convince you of anything. They just want you gone. So I think that's pretty much why you see that kind of uh, that kind of thing going on there. So hope that helps answer that question. Okay, guys. So uh, hope those answers were a little more complete than uh, you know you were expecting, and uh, were informative and <laughs> educational and entertaining. Thanks for coming around and watching this week. I really appreciate your guys' support and viewership. And if you want to help me keep the lights on and keep the show going, please sign up on Patreon or check out the Critical Merchandise link below to my Spreadshirt site where you can get shirts and merch and stuff that helps support this channel as well as the Amazon storefront I just set up if you're interested in uh, books and reading and education. All right, guys, I will see you guys next week. Leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the comment section below and I'll um, I'll take a look at them. Bye-bye, guys.